All right, we continue this morning our series entitled Hall of Faith. It's a look at Hebrews chapter 11. We have been taking our time through this chapter, and we've been looking at it as if we were actually there in a tour group walking through one of the great museums of our nation, and we've been taking it step by step, and this morning we finally come to the first exhibit. And that first exhibit is found in verse 3. And each exhibit will be introduced by these two words, by faith. It is the manner in which the writer of the book of Hebrews, who we don't know who it is, good arguments for Paul, um, but there are also now arguments for Luke and others. I don't think it was Luke since Luke was a Gentile. I, I lean towards Paul being the writer of Hebrews, but we don't know for sure. But the writer of Hebrews coming to chapter 11 and wanting us to take each individual and their life experience with God into consideration and to learn from them, started each one of these inductees or exhibits by the two words, by faith. And the first one, again, we find in verse 3, which reads, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, before we look at that for a moment, let's talk about the manner in which English Bibles translate and bring into uh, the English language the Greek language. Today, if you go to the store and you want to buy a Bible, you might ask the store owner, yes, I'm interested in purchasing a Bible, and they bring you to a shelf or a wall, I should say, of not only different versions of the English Bible, but also different features that each one of those English versions of the Bible offers. It's almost like buying a car today. It's like you pick out your brand and then you pick out all the uh, you know, features you want on your car and so forth. And Bibles are like that too. And one of the debates amongst Bible translators concerning the English rendering of the Greek and Hebrew is the manner in which the text should be formatted. Should you look at each verse individually, some of your Bibles may be uh, formatted in that way. Every verse is a line that contains punctuation and so forth to help you navigate the thought and the, and the grammar, etc., Others now are written, and this is becoming more popular, in a paragraph form. Here is the issue that arises when making this consideration and the reason why I bring it to your attention this morning. Whenever you translate one language from another, there always is a degree of interpretation that is involved in the process. It is not is easy to just think, well, I'm going to bring word from word into an English from the Greek, from the Hebrew, etc. Because of the gram grammatical structure of the original languages, Hebrew and Greek, and because of the, grammar, the grammatical structure of the English language, it's much harder to do than you, than you think. And what is missing from the Greek and the Hebrew is punctuation. And so if you're a fan of the New King James, then you have to be a fan of semicolons because their attempt to help you understand the, the original language was by using semicolons to 
indicate these long sentences, one right after another. The more recent translations have not only brought things into paragraph form, but have been much more conservative with their use of semicolons and have broken things down or brought things together in a manner in which they feel it would be appropriate. Now, I bring this to your attention because of verse 3. If it's in a paragraph form in your Bible, verse 3 often looks to be the concluding sentence of verses 1 and 2. But in the original Greek language, it is a thought in and of itself, meaning the writer wants you to take this verse into consideration before looking at everything that proceeds after it. It is positioned in a way grammatically in the Greek language that says, stop here, take a look, consider what I'm saying, and then read everything that follows in the light of this first sentence. Their grammar says a lot, doesn't it? But this is the robust nature of the Greek language. And again, some of your Bibles may have three paragraphed with one and two. Some of them may have individual lines separating by a semicolon, however it may be structured. It is an individual thought, and that's why we are taking it as an individual thought this morning. The writer wants us to consider this fact, that faith is active today. It is not just the property of those of the Old Testament that interacted with God in the manner in which they did, and that time in which they had with God is no longer existent today. The writer is trying to inform us that the same faith that they exercise is the same faith that God is asking us to exercise today in 2018. He does so in a literary way to have us consider the foundation of all things, the creation of all things. And this is a topic that you know, if you've been here at Calvary for any length of period of time, that we speak on often. Because it has been said, and I think uh, aptly so, that if you can believe the first verse of the Bible, everything else should become easy to accept thereafter. You know, and I'm, and I'm talking about the very first verse, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so if we can believe this, and we do so by faith, because none of us were there at the process or the forming of cre creation. And so, as believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible challenges us to consider the origins of all things. And if we believe that God created all things, heaven and earth, that means everything in them, then we should be able to trust and to confidently move forward in our faith concerning everything that he has said afterwards. And that's what the writer's indicating to us here in the book of Hebrews. If you can believe this, you should be able, by faith, to believe everything that God says. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. That the faith is a reality today just as much as it was a reality in the life of each individual that we will look at going forward. 
And all of us exercise a degree of faith already in our Christian life by acknowledging the fact that God has created all things. And as we begin to look at this verse more intently, the title of my message is, By Faith We Understand. The word understand is a word that we need to understand what it means before going on any further. It means that we know that it is not only truth, but certainty. And this brings up another conversation that we need to have this morning. There are many individuals that are looking to be certain. However, though, they assume that certainty is necessarily based upon truth. Now, can a person be certain about something, but it not yet rest or be uh, found, uh, the foundation of it, that certainty be truth? Yes or no? Think about it for a moment. Can a person be certain about something, but it not be true? Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. There are individuals who are very, very certain about something, for one reason or another, often due to a personal experience in which they've had, um, often uh, due to a conclusion that they've come to based on the experiences that others have had, and they can be certain about something. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that certainty is based on truth. Now, if you talk to a Mormon, they are very certain about what they believe, but we don't believe that uh, what they believe is based on truth. The same with the Jehovah's Witness and so forth. And as you push forward, you will find that certainty comes alongside of many things, including the origins of the world. There are many who can be certain about the theory of evolution. And I have discovered that in my 30 years of being a Christian, 21 years now being a pastor, I have discovered that many are certain about their uh, acceptance of evolution, but have never worked through the evidence themselves. And therefore, they have simply based their opinion on the opinion of others. Because the creation process cannot be observed and therefore it cannot be repeated, and therefore we cannot verify it, there is a degree of faith that must be exercised to believe in the creation process. We as Christians believe that God created all things. And it's not just enough to emphasize the fact that God has created all things, we must also consider the manner in which the God says he created all things. What was the process? What was the methodology in which he used? Was it he simply spoke things into creation in six days? Or did he use an evolutionary process of some sort, but he was the beginning of it all? And this is where it gets a little technical. This is where we have to make some decisions. We here at Calvary Chapel hold to the fact that God created everything in six days. And some say, well, that's an impossibility. Really? It's only an impossibility if your understanding of God makes it an impossibility. 
Personally, I don't understand why it took God that long. God can do anything. I have all kinds of theories about the seventh day of rest. In fact, I think my doctorate will be written on why God created Lou Malnati's pizza on the seventh day. Okay, that's rest food. You have to rest after having some of that food. But why is it that we have such a hard time believing that God created everything in six days? Well, some will say, well, we have all these great undeniable pieces of evidence that indicate that the world is a billion years old and evolutionary process took place and so on and so forth. And then when you begin to ask them some qualifying questions about their understanding of the evolutionary process uh, through natural selection, etc., you discover that they're woefully ill-equipped to discuss these things. And so much of what they say they believe is based upon um, opinion or something that they had been told or simply uh, looked at in general but never researched for themselves. There are serious issues with the Darwinian evolutionary process that are being challenged at the highest academic institutions of our world. In fact, Oxford University. We have individuals that are coming out with this new wave of neo-atheism based on the fact that evolution is true, but there are professors at Oxford that are saying, wait a minute, you have serious problems with your interpretation of the data. And of course, then we have to get into the, into the idea, did everything start from nothing or did everything start from something? Now, before we go on to talk about that any further, let us understand that the word understanding here is a word that is used for understanding with great confidence and certainty based on truth, okay? Great confidence Great certainty based on truth. That's the way the writer is writing to us. He wants us to understand that what follows next, this understanding that we have of what follows next, we can be confident of, we can be certain of, and it is based on truth. That's what the Bible says. It means to perceive with the mind, to understand, to know as a true fact. And what is it that he wants us to know? He wants us to know this. By faith, we understand, that is, have confidence, certainty, based on truth, that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, as Christians, in our scientifically advanced society compared to any other period of society that we've ever lived. Some may have difficulty with that, feeling that that's an archaic sentiment. Again, I strongly encourage you that if you haven't worked through the data as a believer in Jesus Christ, that you would do so. This is why we are such uh, proponents and advocates for Answers in Genesis or Creation Research Institute, because we believe that the evidence for creation is undeniable, that the possibility of an evolutionary process creating what we see today 
is like that of a watch factory exploding and individual watches come back to earth perfectly assembled. It's an impossibility. Microbiology is now questioning the entire Darwinian process of evolution simply because they have found within the individual cell such complexity, mechanisms working in harmony with one another to allow the cell to function in the manner in which it was designed. From the smallest cell to the largest aspect of the universe, with even the earth itself pivoted on an angle perfectly able to support life in its current state. And yet we say this is all a process of an evolutionary accident. And they cannot repeat the evolutionary process, just as we cannot reproduce the creation process. However, though, to me, the evidence is so certain that everything had a common designer, which we'll talk about in a moment. But as we move through the Bible, we start with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then we come through the Old Testament to the New Testament, and we come to the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is recorded for us in four Gospels, his life, his his words, his deeds, his actions, everything about him in four gospels given to us. And then we have the crucifixion and the resurrection, which is one of the most provable facts in all of history. We know for certain through biblical accounts and extra biblical accounts that an individual named Jesus Christ died and three days later the grave was empty. The writer of Hebrews is saying to us, consider everything that has transpired and your first evidence to know that creation is real is to know that Jesus Christ was real. Not only can we look at the world itself, number one, and see that it is designed by a designer. Secondly, we have the person of Jesus Christ who came, died, and rose again. Undeniable. Then we have the word of God that captures all of this for us, including prophecies given to us that then are then fulfilled perfectly hundreds if not thousands of years later. All pointing to the same fact that God knows exactly what he is saying and that everything that he says has been substantiated. Fourthly, we have the witness of the Holy Spirit within our lives that confirm what the word tells us. And all of this together combined give us the Certainty, the confidence based on truth to know that God created all things. As one wrote, he said, there were no human eyewitnesses in the making of the material universe. Scripture attributes it to a divine activity and we believe it. But it is faith, not some material that assures us that it's origins are with God. His view, that is the writer's view, is nonetheless certain because it is based on faith. And he does not qualify his statement as though he has any doubt of its possibilities. This world is God's world and faith assures him that God originated it. And so the writer wants us to know for certain that how these things have come about. 
The creation of the universe by God is a core doctrine of the Christian faith. Now, where it becomes debated is how God did it. But a core doctrine of the Christian faith is that God created all things. And the reason we say that is because it was to the early church. It was to the apostles. It was to the Jewish people. The Jewish people in their monotheistic understanding of God always attributed to the creation of the world to him. And they went one step further. That not only did he create it, but he created something out of nothing, which is an impossibility in every other circumstance. And through the Bible, we get this clearly shown to us. And I want to show you some verses that are key to this concept. And the reason I want to bring this to your attention is because what the writer is advocating is this, that not only did God create everything, but he created everything out of nothing, which is an impossibility apart from God. Now, the world believes that everything was created out of nothing also, but that's as far as it goes. And so they need some kind of vehicle, something that would energize the process of something from nothing into something. And that vehicle, that process is time. So they will hold to, yes, everything came from nothing. They will adamantly agree to that. Richard Dawkins has said that numerous times. But what has energized the process was time. Was time. So you can have your faith in time bringing about everything that we see today and the intricacies of everything that we see today, or you can believe that God designed everything and created everything out of nothing, which he is perfectly capable of doing, which requires more faith. I tell the evolutionists up front, you have more faith than I do. To believe that position, you have more faith than I do because the evidence is certainly waning in your favor. The evolutionary process, the fossil records itself, are, there are such large gaps within it. And we still, to this day, do not have a fossil of a, trans, uh, a, a, a transient or a, you know, a species moving from one species to another. And so we have some difficulties in this evolutionary process that our entire society's worldview is based upon. If the, if the foundation of the worldview is so faulty, then how, how accurate, correct, and inherent can the worldview based on it be, right? Of course, it's equally faulty. Let's take a look through the Word of God together. Back to Genesis 1.1. From the very beginning, we are confronted with this reality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the way the Bible starts. Can we believe it? Do we accept it? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 33, 6-9, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap, He puts the deep in storehouses. 
Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The writer of Proverbs by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. This isn't only an Old Testament concept, for John writes concerning the deity of Christ and his role, that is Jesus's, in the process of creation. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things, notice this, all things were made through Him, that is Jesus, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, even Paul, writing to Gentile regions, included this in his understanding. Colossians 1 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him for him, and he is before all things, that is Jesus, and in him all things hold together. We see clearly from the scriptures that it was the idea of the writers being inspired by the Holy Spirit in its affirmation to write concerning the creation process. And there's two definitive uh, conclusions we come to by these verses. Number one, God created it. Number two, he created it by his word. And so, as you continue reading on in Genesis 1, you'll see God saying, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be, and there was, creating something out of nothing. Now, we think that we live in a pluralistic society, and we do, meaning that we here in the United States of America, uh, there are many different religions that are represented here in our nation. And through those religions, and now I would include secularism or humanism within that, you, of course, you get a multiplicity of different worldviews concerning how the world runs and started and so forth. But this is nothing new to a society. In the time of the writer of the book of Hebrews, there were two definitive philosophies in which he was contending with there in the first two centuries of the early church. And that was either God created everything from nothing, or the Greek understanding of creation was this, that their gods created the world out of matter that already existed. This would be similar to those thinking in the evolutionary process. They just attributed to a God, we attributed to a time, and so forth, of something being made from something else through a process of time. The Greek gods, again, they believed, created everything out of something that already existed. And some of the Jewish writers, such as Phileo and also 
uh, what was his name? Um, oh, I forgot it now. They, uh, they came to start to um, buy into this until they were challenged and so forth by the Hebrew writings on the reality of God speaking something into reality out of nothing. And so they contended with it. And it's, un, it's no doubt to me that this is why the writers, Paul specifically, wrote concerning these things. Do you remember that when he went to Athens in Acts 17, very interesting scenario if you've ever looked at it this way, he is offered an opportunity to go to an area called the Aerogopagus, which was a place where philosophers would meet and gather to talk about all the new philosophies thinking of that day, they would gather there and they would just sit there and listen to one another, expound on their understanding of truth. They invited Paul because they heard him in the marketplace speaking in a manner in which was not so much contrary to what they had already accepted, but it was confusing to them. It's like, wait a minute, he's got a whole different perspective on everything. And it's interesting that Paul began his whole conversation with the creation process, attributing it to his God, and therefore leading them from the very beginning to the point in which they were at at the moment, which to me speaks volumes. I believe the reason we have such confusion over the identity of the individual in our culture today is due to the fact that we no longer believe we were created in the image of God. And so people are now confused. They are scrambling, looking for their personal identity apart from the reality of the fact that they were created in the image of God. But this was a reality back then. And the writer of Hebrews wants you and I to know specifically that God created the universe by the word of God, number one, notice it with me in this verse, so that what is seen, everything physical, was not made out of things that are visible. Something out of nothing. Now, we went the long way in our journey to this conclusion. But in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created, the word there created in Hebrew is bara, and it means something out of nothing. So, I didn't want to give you just the cliff notes this morning. I want you to think a little bit with me as we work through this. Now, some will challenge you because I believe that in our endeavor to share the gospel with someone, it is not necessarily a bad idea to have them consider the creation of all things. Paul did it. I use it all the time. Because if we can get them to consider that things were created rather than just evolving from an accident, you then have an opportunity, you have a platform in which to, to talk with them concerning the reality of God. Now, here's where you get challenged. I remember talking with someone and using the creation introduction to my witnessing and saying that by faith I accept this and speaking to him why I accept it as faith. And he says, well, that just isn't reasonable. Well, 
this is a very subjective statement, if you think about it. It's not reasonable. Well, it's not reasonable to you who take God out of every equation that you consider. But as we talked about faith being the sense that allows us to see the invisible visibly, we understand that their reality is not solely what we see around us, right? But the existence of God is part of this reality. The existence of heaven and and hell, angels and demons and the devil, etc. All this is also part of the reality in which we live. And so in the reality in which I consider... My understanding of reason is not based upon my own limited physical human ability. It is based on the fact that God is limitless. So if I say that God began a creation process, is that a reasonable statement concerning who God is? Yes, absolutely. You all chuckled when I said, I don't know what took God so long to have to do it over six days. It's because your understanding of God is that he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, right? And he can do anything. And so your reasoning is not flawed due to the fact that you consider God, their reasoning is flawed because they subtract God from everything. Make sense? Okay, one more thing. Notice what the Hebrew writer is arguing for here in verse 3. By faith, we understand the universe, that is certainty, confidence, and based on truth, that God created by the word of God, number one, that he spoke things into existence. Then he specifically finishes the sentence by telling us what we must consider. And this is why this is key crucial for everything that we are going to look at going forward. God spoke something into reality from nothing. Think it with me now. God said, let there be light, and there was what? God said, let there be uh, animals, and there were what? If God could speak these things into existence from nothing... Can we then take, with understanding of confidence, certainty, and truth, if God is able to speak all things into existence, is he therefore not able to to, uh, perform all things that he has promised? Yes or no? Something to an individual. Says to someone who is past their ability to uh, conceive and have children that 20 years from now, you are going to have, they're already past that physical age. If he says it, can it come to pass? So what the writer is asking us to consider going forward is this, that what God says is truly a reality. We just haven't experienced it yet. So that that way, when I read the word of God and he promises me something, even though it is not a reality and I personally haven't experienced it yet, I can be sure that I am going to because he spoke everything into existence. He spoke something from nothing. He is able to circumvent supernaturally everything that happens naturally. He is limitless in his ability. And so the writer is saying this, Just as he spoke things into into creation, 
you can be confident that that which he tells you, that which he speaks to you will also become reality. That's what the writer is writing here. Isn't that beautiful if you think about it? So every time, every time you're standing on the edge of a beach and you're looking at that sunset, just gorgeous sunset, and it's dropping down behind the horizon of the water, and you know that God created all of that out of nothing, you can be assured of the word of God. When you stand and look at the stars at nighttime, and you have that privilege of being somewhere where none of the city lights distract you from the beauty and the majesty of the heavens. And you can say the God who created that out of nothing is the same God who has promised me the blessed promises of his word. And if he can do that, he can perform every one of those promises. The next time you are standing and you are just observing the beauty of creation, Remember, that is God saying that you can understand, know for certain, with confidence, based on truth, that everything that God has said to you is true and is real. Now compare that to the world. When an unbeliever looks at the creation around him, he doesn't see God. He sees nothing, absolutely nothing. It's all an accident. It all just formed on its own. When he looks at God's word, that God willed and spoke, the individual sees absolutely nothing in the, pre- in the creation process. For us, the matter appeared and the worlds were created by the word of God, by him speaking into creation. But for those who do not believe, matter appeared from some gas or force formed out of absolutely nothing. When they look at creation, they see the things that were made by God and they just look at it and they see that this chance or accident and even the beauty that it does contain still leads me to absolutely nothing. So the choice is yours. Will we begin our tour and look at the individuals who trusted the word of God to become reality? Will we now trust that same word, those promises written to us, with the same assurance, the same confidence, the same certainty, knowing that truth lies at the foundation of it all. Everything that we look at in creation points to the fact that there was a designer who designed all things. I want to show you just a small clip to give you a little bit of insight into that reality that everything that we are surrounded by was designed and created by an awesome God. Let's take a look. I'd like to close with this this morning. It's found in Romans chapter 1. They just referred to it there in that little video. But I want to read it to you. For what can be known about God is plain to them, that is, those who have rejected God, because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Why are so many opposed to seeing the evidence in the same manner in which you and I do? It's because their acknowledgement of God would then require them to consider that reality within their own life. Jesus told us that people love darkness rather than light. And they're going to run from the light in which is provided through Christ and through the word and through the spirit, through his church and so forth, even the evidence of creation itself. And this is why we need a secondary explanation. We need something else besides the fact of God creating all things. And so the evolutionary process developed over time. We were not mere accidents. We were created in the image of God for his purposes, to glorify him. The emptiness that we long for in our hearts is due to the fact of the emptiness that has been created by our rejection of God and our turning from Him. And we will try to fill that emptiness everywhere in this world that we possibly think we can, thinking we know ourselves better than God does. And as a result, we will spend years pursuing things obtaining things, possibly, and then discovering that those things do not believe, uh, uh, provide the satisfaction that one is longing for. It's only God who can. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to know, as we look at this first exhibit together, that the God who spoke the world into creation is the same God who gave these individuals that we will look at over the next several weeks the instruction in which he did, they believed in it, and it came to reality. Now, sometimes it didn't come to reality in their lifetime, but it did come to pass. Allowing us, therefore, to, to embrace God by faith even further. Allowing us to trust his word explicitly. Allowing us to take it at face value. Believing that God wants us to know what he wants from us holding true to those promises that he has given us to help us take each step through this troubling and trying world and knowing that he who has promised such things is able to perform them. That's what we are going to look at going forward. But the writer wanted us to know this this morning. He wanted us to understand by faith. He wanted us to be certain. He wanted us to be confident. He wanted us to know that there is truth, ultimate truth, absolute truth in God. And that God created all things that he spoke into existence by his word, making the things seen from the things that are not visible. 